listening to the iHeartRadio Talk Network, and this is The Evan Solomon Show. Happy Monday, Canada. How's everybody doing today on a, uh, well, it's still winter here, even though it's March break. Many of your kids are out in March break. Here we are. Uh, We are deep into the sad and tragic war in Ukraine. Uh, I am still broadcasting from home because of the old uh, COVID. My entire family got it. Everyone's okay, I should just say. We're all at the end of it now. Uh, the quarantining coming to an end. But literally, it was like daughter, wife, me, son. Like, And instead of getting it all grouped together, it was like you sort of like every, the end of one five days, the next person got it. It was just... <sighs> It's like bad flu, but you know, you get tired and I know everyone's over COVID. Like, I don't want to go on about it. I, you know, we went two years without this damn thing, but here we are. And I keep hearing about people. Oh, we got it. We got it, but it's over. Look, there's a lot of debate about whether you should use a mask or not. And, and whether it's over or not, I want to get back to normal. I'm triple vaxxed. My family's triple vaxxed. I will just say this based on the experience of us four, it ain't fun. If you can avoid it, I would avoid it. Now, maybe there's no way to avoid it. And maybe that's just the way it's going to be. But, you know, people are like, I don't want to take precautions anymore. I get it. Nor do I. But I will just tell you this. It's exhausting. It is not a super, super, super fun experience. And, you know... I'm not telling you to wear a mask after the mask mandates are all lifted. You know, you can do whatever the hell you want, but follow the rules and and, and do what you want. But let me just tell you, it is not fun. Health is time. We've been sitting in our house now, my, you know, for 12 days. You know, my engine runs hot. Like I, I am going bonkers. And I will say this, you get tired. You get tired a lot. And so you can't do the exercise. So I'm just saying, if you can avoid it, avoid it. If it means wearing a mask on a few different occasions, do it. People think, I'm just going to get it and get through with it. That's what I said at the end. I mean, you know, I'm not worried about it. It's not like we're we're terrified about long-term, long COVID consequences. But I can tell you, it is not a fun thing. It has been a kind of boring um pain in the butt experience. So that's life. Uh, let's move on to the program today. We're not going to talk about COVID today. But if, by the way, if it is sort of one last thing, let me just say about it. One last thing. I would like you, if you can, to text me at 71010 for, for my own interest in our daily conversations. Because everyone's talking about the end of COVID and the war and the conservative leadership race, and there's a million things to talk about. But, and being the person that keeps talking about COVID is like being the most boring person. We're done with it. It's been two years. It's a total disaster. It's boring. It's, but if you've still got it or you know someone that's dealing with it and, and you're still dealing with it, just text me, would you? And just tell me what it's like for you right now. I'm just intrigued your experience with it. 
A lot of people, by the way, like my daughter had it very mild. It, she she had it the most mild of all of us. Like I, I she, she, but my wife, immunocompromised, had it much worse. Obviously, I had about a medium. But because I'm a guy, it was, it was more like a a man cold situation, so it was kind of awful, really bad. My wife's like, okay, you you've complained enough now, honey. That's enough. But it was not great. My son, medium, you know, young, strong. Um, I just want to know at seven ten ten what's your experience like. Okay, so let's move on to to what we're going to talk about today. And there's a lot on the on the show. What's happening in Ukraine? First comment on that, because I want to talk about the battle in Ukraine and then the political battle that's happening here at home. And we've got to be careful here to learn some lessons. We've got to understand the mind of Vladimir Putin. The most interesting thing I read today, the most interesting article, was an, an inside account of what the people in Russia are learning about. You know, Putin's got about 75% support about what's going on in Russia uh, right now for his war. And one reason is, in, in Russia now, you can't call it a war. If you go out and say, hey, there's a war in Ukraine, you are arrested and subjected to up to 15 years in prison. He has locked down and shut down all independent media, all access on the Internet. So the Russian people, outside those who are using a, a small percentage, use a service called Telegraph, which is an online service. It's not an actual Telegraph or Telegram, rather. Um, they don't know what's going on. Putin has essentially, it's become almost a North Korean situation there. The Russians don't realize how devastating their economy is. How, what the fiasco that Putin has done. They believe that this is a special military operation in eastern Ukraine. They have this sort of sense that the West is against them, that they're there to denazify Ukraine. This is a mass propaganda. And in the meantime... Putin, who's lying and losing, and when I say losing, losing in the sense that he thought this was going to be Kabul, that they'd roll in and Zelensky would just, you know, stop and, and leave and, and, and this would be a quick operation and it would be like he took over Crimea and Georgia. Instead, this is turning into a disaster. And, and Putin now is using his playbook, which is this. One, crushing dissent internally. Two, blinding the Russians in a desperate act of propaganda. And it's working in there. Three, the Russian playbook when they're in deep trouble in a war, which they used in Grozny, which they used in Aleppo, is to absolutely obliterate with artillery and missiles and bombs civilian centers obliterate. And that's what they're doing in Mariupol where they bombed the hospital. Mariupol is a disaster. They've kidnapped the mayor. And that's what they've done in Kharkiv in the northeast. And that's what they're doing now. They're starting to bomb Kiev. They're trying to circle Kiev and decapitate the leadership there. Zelensky, who is speaking into a joint session of parliament tomorrow at 11.15 a.m., and we're going to have a special coverage of this. It is, it is a remarkable guy. He's, a, he's emerged as this modern-day, unlikely Churchill figure. But, but this is really important because... And then Putin is 
so desperate to cut off Western support that yesterday he bombed the, the, the headquarters where the Canadian troops and the NATO troops have been training the Ukraines for so long, 15 kilometers from the Western border in Poland and killed 35 people and, and at least and, and, and injured over 135 more. He, he launched at least 30 cruise missiles there to take out this tra- NATO training base. And I asked, I'm going to play this conversation. I asked the uh, defense minister, now that Russia has said that NATO supply lines are legitimate targets, does that trigger Article 5 of the NATO um, agreement, which is an attack on one as an attack on all? And she said, we don't know yet. I can't believe that. So she's traveling today to Brussels to find out. So you've got Putin desperately pushing. He's, he could win battles, but he's losing this war. And he's, he's crawling right up to the border. And on, when that's going on in Russia, I just want to be clear. We have a, a, a leadership race for the conservative party that's launched for real now. And it's consequential because the world is changing. You've got Pierre Polyevre and Leslin Lewis and Jean Charest, who I'm going to play you my exclusive conversation with next. And now Patrick Brown has joined. And... It matters. And I will just say this about this race, and this is important. I hope this race is a clash of ideas, not a, or an act of arson, where one is trying to destroy the other, like you don't belong, your ideas don't belong, you're not a conservative. This should be a fair fight of ideas because we need good ideas now. We need ideas in a dark time. The thing that scares Putin the free exchange of ideas. That's next. Making sense of the latest news. You're listening to The Evan Solomon Show. On Thursday, Jean Charest announced he was going to uh, jump into the conservative race. On Sunday, Patrick Brown announced yesterday, so it's a big race now. Now, remember, Jean Charest served as the Quebec Premier from 2003 until 2012 in the Quebec Liberal Party. He was a leader of the Federal Progressive Conservative Party from 93 to 98. He was a minister in the Mulroney government. He was elected in 1984. This guy's been around. Does he have a shot? Well... Pierre Polyevre's probably got the most momentum now, but I spoke with an exclusive interview with Jean Charest about his candidacy. Now, he's been hammered, as everybody is, by negative ads from Pierre Polyevre. How does he plan to win? How does he fend off criticism that the guy's a liberal? He's not even blue enough for the race. So to find out, I, I said to him, look, Pierre Polyevre spent a lot of time and a lot of attack ads saying that you're a liberal you're not even a conservative, that you supported the long gun register, you raised tax, you have a carbon tax. How are you going to deal with that attack? Well, I, I take it as a compliment, given the fact that he's spending more time attacking me than actually doing his own campaign. And on my own record, well, I have a long record of having governed with uh, a rule of fiscal conservatism. We left a big surplus to the government of Mr. Legault, you know, and a higher credit rating in Quebec than Ontario. And uh, I governed with a very, very keen eye for economic growth. We left the economy of Quebec in very good shape. When he says I'm a liberal, I mean, is there anyone in the country that doesn't already know that I went to Quebec politics, Evan, because uh, to fight the separatist cause and a coalition party that was called the Liberal Party, as is the case in British Columbia. I mean, to, to say that is ludicrous. But, you know, 
Uh, I take the, the attacks as a compliment because they are. They are. I mean, uh, and and he, if he wants to spend more time attacking me than doing his own campaign, well, so be it. But there is a, a battle for the Conservative Party. Uh, some have, would argue uh, a, that Aaron O'Toole put out Brian Mulroney, who you were a cabinet minister in, uh, and he was stabbed in the front, stabbed in the back, and he got tossed out. Peter McKay tried the, the, the red Tory issue. That didn't work. Uh, your record is as a progressive conservative. Uh, has that been already tested and rejected by conservatives? Evan, my record is that of a conservative, and I am running as a conservative, not a hyphenated conservative, of which the membership of the party has had enough. They have had their fill of these hyphenated conservatives out there, and they want a conservative. Now, what does that mean? It means fiscal conservatives, for which I have a very strong record. Market-based economy, for which I have an unparalleled record. Policies that promote economic growth, prosperity, and allow families to have more revenue. It includes policies that support families, for which I have a very strong record. Respecting the rule of law. And finally, Evan, practicing federalism that respects the jurisdictions of the provinces. And what I will bring to this job when I unite this party is being a prime minister that understands how the federal system works and make it work to get big projects done. That's the leadership and the conservative values that I will bring to this job and for which I have an unparalleled record after 28 years of public life. Okay, let's do some rapid fire so people can get a sense. Would you, you had a, a, a cap and price system uh, on um, carbon in Quebec. Would you now support a price on carbon as a federal leader? I support a policy that is going to bring to the table Alberta the provinces and bring to the table the oil and gas industry <clears throat> so that we can develop policies that we can actually implement. And it, it'll include a price on carbon, but it will not discriminate against rural Canadians. It won't be a wealth transfer tax. It will be a policy that is smart, intelligent, that allows us to develop carbon sequestration, to develop hydrogen, whether green or blue, or small modular reactors, and biofuels and hydro. Those, that's the smart thing that conservatives can do. And that, by the way, that we've done in the past, whether on the Montreal Protocol or whether on the Clean Air Act of 1990. We did it. I was there. Now, can we be smart about it? and do something good for the country, the economy, and climate? The answer is yes. So you reject it. When Pierre Polly ever says we got to just ditch a, any, a price on carbon, a carbon tax, is that too, is that too simplified for you? And apparently, he said that we need to scrap the carbon tax. And the last time I heard that was Jean Chrétien saying he was going to scrap the GST. Draw your own conclusion. Interesting. You previously supported the long gun registry. Do you support, for example, now the idea of banning handguns in municipalities, in cities? Uh, there's a real issue about handguns in municipalities in Canada. <clears throat> and I think what a conservative government should do is focus resources and some some real uh, muscle on uh, on uh, stopping these handguns from coming into Canada, period, at the border. That's where the effort should be put. And I see the problem in Montreal. I see it in Toronto. I see it in other cities. I mean, isn't that the common sense, intelligence thing we should we should be doing as opposed to going after a hunter or a farmer in that in, in northern Saskatchewan? I mean, this is a common sense uh, thing that every government should be focusing on. In 2012, when you were the Quebec Premier, you introduced a controversial bill, Bill 78, that banned protests near the university grounds in the wake of student protests. Okay, I understand that. Now, it was extremely controversial then. 
Uh, some saw it as an infringement on civil liberties, some supported it. The federal government recently invoked the Emergencies Act to address the trucker convoys. Two questions on it. One, do you support, did you support the federal government's use of the Emergencies Act? I think the Trudeau government very badly mishandled that whole episode. By tarring uh, this protest and the protesters under the same brush, they actually fanned the flames of the protesters. And it should have been handled uh, from the outset in a very, very different manner. And, and it just spun out of control. Using the Emergencies Act, and I voted for that act, Evan. I think it was in 88 or 89. There's no one in 88 or 89 that actually thought the act would be used for this purpose. There was other things that should have been done a lot earlier on to avoid this this embarrassing situation for Canada. Should all vaccine mandates end, as Conservatives are calling for, the federal well, vaccine mandates? And if you were the leader, would you, yes, okay, would you have all your MPs, would you have said everyone needs to be vaccinated? Would that have been a, a Jean Charest rule? I, I believe that we need to govern by example. If we're going to have vaccines and vaccine mandates, we have to govern by example. But we're arriving at the end of this or a new episode in this COVID period. Now, you know, we've vaccinated as much as we can, everyone we can. Now is the time for us to move on to a new uh, era where we're going to have to learn to live with what will be called an, an endemic on, uh, on COVID. We're not quite there yet, but that's the direction in which we're going. So I don't, the focus has, isn't going to be on vaccines. Mr. Charette, you advised Huawei during the Meng Wanzhou case and on the uh, 5G networks. Uh, you recently said that you were proud of the work. I just want to show you this clip because your opponents are using it. Here it is. What we did in Huawei, I'm very proud of what we did in helping to uh, sort out the situation of Ms. Meng Wanzhou. And I worked with the family of Michael Kovrig so that we could free the two Michaels. And we, uh, we worked with them very, very throughout the whole process. So, Mr. Charest, uh, uh, why were you proud to work with Huawei uh, and maybe even profit from it while the two Michaels were in prison? Now, let, let me put it very simply, Evan. The work that I did helped release the two Michaels, period. And the family of Michael Kovrig uh, can confirm that. I worked with them. I worked with uh, Vina Nejibula to make that happen. That's, that's, the, that's the long and the short of it. And I think that's exactly what, uh, what Canadians were hoping for, that they be released. And I was, uh, I was happy to be part of the effort to make that happen. But you know, your opponents are gonna say you took money from Huawei. Was that a mistake? I worked in the private sector, uh, Evan. And you know, if you work in the private sector, you actually have people that uh, come to you to ask for advice and ask help. I'm not embarrassed by working in the private sector, but I can also tell you that I never did any work that was contrary to the interest of my own country. If you don't win the leadership race, are you committing still, no matter what happens in this race, Mr. Charest, are you committing to run for the Conservative Party in the next election? Of course I'll win the leadership race. And after I win the leadership race, I'm going to win a national government with every region of the country at the table. Mm, okay. Well, that's Jean Charest. Okay, so, so, so now you get a sense. There's Jean Charest. We'll have interviews with uh, Patrick Brown and Leslin Lewis and Pierre Polyevre, of course. Now, what is your take on that? I, I'd love you to know. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, 1-855-633-1010 or 710. We're going to talk conservative race. Do the negative ads, and I'm going to play you some of Pierre's negative ads. Do the negative ads work? Are they going to divide the party? Who do you want to see to win? Lots to come. Your thoughts next. 
As your world changes, we adapt to get your answers. Now more with Evan Solomon. Joe. Uh, 1-855-633-1010, 1-855-633-1010 or 71010. Uh, we are going to ask you a question about the conservative leadership race. It is heating up. I actually think this will be one of the most interesting leadership races we've seen in a generation. Why? You've got a consequential prize. Look, they've had three leaders in five years. They have not won an election in a decade, basically, since Harper won his last election. So he lost in 2015, lost four years later in 19, lost last time a year ago. Now here they are. So they got three. So they've been through Harper. They went through the Ron Ambrose, semi permanent. They should have probably kept her, but they didn't. Then they elected Andrew Shear, dud. They elected. Um, Aaron O'Toole didn't work out, tossed him under the bus because they didn't know what he stood for. True blue, sort of blue, not blue, medium blue. You know, every five minutes he said something else. So now what is the conservative movement? They're at a crossroads. Will they veer down a kind of Republican center-right populist lens? Is it all about name check? A conservative is, as Pierre Pauly ever said, you can't have a price on carbon. No long gun registry, lower tax, or is it a bigger tent? So you've got Pierre Polyevre. He's got 42, maybe 43 MPs already signed up to support him and senators. You've got Jean Charest, who we just had the exclusive interview with. He's coming back. He's been a politician since 1984, but he was a liberal uh, premier as well. Now, remember, liberal in Quebec back then meant either a, a federalist or a separatist. It wasn't really about liberal or conservative. But he was from the progressive conservative party. He's a Mulroney conservative. And then you've got now Patrick Brown, who was a Harper conservative. Then he went and became a progressive conservative under uh, in, in Ontario. And that job was lost. He's over that scandal. That was not a scandal in the end for him. And he settled that. Now he's back. And he had put a price on carbon. He's a, he's a center progressive conservative. And now you've got Leslie Lewis, who's a social conservative. one 1010 or 71010. But what does it mean to be a conservative? And and do negative ads work? Um, Pierre Polyever has launched a barrage of ads saying that Jean Charest is not a conservative. Here's one. Okay, so so then the, I, I don't think this is just music. And then here's the... That ad's not really that helpful because you have to see it. Uh, but he's basically saying he's a liberal. He's raised taxes. He sports a long gun registry. He's into the carbon tax. And then Patrick Brown launches and then they launch this ad. Patrick Brown claimed he grew the party's membership to 200,000 members. But it was later revealed that number was overinflated by about 70,000. Patrick Brown, he'll say and do anything. So look. Do these work? Let's get some of your calls on here. And I, and I know uh, Matthew. Uh, Matthew, uh, for, I'd love your take on who you like, but what do you think about this kind of scorched earth policy? Like, blast, like I don't mind negative ads. Running on the record is what it is, and, and it's a robust uh, issue. But boy, it's you know day one, and these, the, you know, calling the other people liars and liberals before they, and they're in the same party. Yeah, I, I don't find it particularly compelling for myself. 
Um, I'm not sure how it is for others. I would find it more convincing if you wanted to make a contrast and say, you know, here's, here's my values, my approaches, my policies, and here's how they contrast with these folks who, who don't embrace what I think we should be embracing. And, and if you want to put a label on it and call things a conservative, that's fine. I hate the idea that, you know, I've got to buy the T-shirt and represent my team. Uh, you know, you know, you know, the liberals, Evans, actually do have some good policies. And what's wrong with accepting that? And similarly, the conservatives have some good ideas that the liberals should consider. This whole partisan, you know, root for my team, it, it, it reminds me a bit of sort of what I'd characterize as dull U.S. politics. Uh, Matthew. I'm, I'm inviting you to be a, a regular caller. Here's why. I'm with you in the set. Look, partisans get stuff done. So there's an argument to be to be said that partisanship matters because you need to organize and get stuff done and move the ball. But I'm with you on, on just in terms of just basic common sense, right? Like, I don't care. I'm with you. I don't care whether where a good idea comes from. I want to, you know, what's my, I, I'm like the kind of person and I wish politicians were more like that, is they, they, what's the end goal? And then you go back. Hey, what do we want to get to? I want to get to a place where there's, what, low inflation, lots of opportunity, lots of social mobility, lots of high education, quick, efficient health care, and a low debt, and I don't want to infringe on people's freedom. So I'm not interested in you restricting my rights on X or Y. So if we can get to a society that's free, safe, right, reason-based, empathetic, not divided. How do we get there? Now, I don't know what the answer is. And by the way, the answer changes. You know what? Uh, I'm with, I don't need health care as much when I'm healthy in my 20s as I might when I'm in my 80s. So, you, you know, and sometimes people need it more in their 20s if they are got a condition. So, like, circumstance changes your needs, and so we've got to accommodate. So I'm with you. A little common sense. I don't care what color the idea is. I care if it works or it doesn't work. So, Matthew, call in again, brother. Uh, Tom, what's going on? Yeah, hi, Evan. You just said it right. You'll take an idea that makes sense, that makes this country a better country. Um, The attack ads simply are eating your own. My single goal is I've lived in Canada for 31 years. The first politician I've intensely disliked is Justin Trudeau. He's sneaky, etc. We can all say things. He's dishonest because his goal is to control all of us. Um, but in terms of the Conservative Party, you need more people who are willing to vote in the next general election to get change. I personally happen to like Leslie Lewis on a level of that. She brings newness to the party. I think John Charest is a nice man, but he's like three years younger than me, and he looks 10 years older. Okay, Let I'm me ask you about Leslie Lewis. Let, let, let's talk about her policies. Do you mind that she's a social conservative? Do you mind, for example, her stance where she was openly you know, distrusting the science of vaccines? Like that stuff, does it bother you or does that help you? Okay, on the vaccines, I think there's certainly legitimacy that vaccines at a, below a certain age, you know, the risk may be higher that you're doing something and not gaining anything. I mean, the CDC has not improved it for kids under five yet. There's got to be a reason why. I don't think it's 
you know, lack of initiative. Um, you know, vaccinating kids between 5 and 11 was, those kids weren't going to get injured by COVID. I'll leave it that way in general. So that doesn't bother, um, I'm not going to, but, but, so I just, because I want to get one more call, but that doesn't bother you. So you're a Leslie Lewis. By the way, she came, I think I said, I think I said she came in fourth last time. She came in third. Go ahead. Uh, and I also, I'll add this. Um, her goal of pro-life, I'd like to hear her define it more. You know, nobody's going to vote for a candidate that says they're going to get rid of abortion in Canada. That's not going to work in a general election. Do I think personally pro-life would be better? And that includes a big picture of things like pro-life for the people who are walking around homeless and don't have a life in the sense of most of us. There's a lot of things... Yeah, but that's From not what, what she's talking about. Okay, well, I appreciate thing. that. But her pro-life, let, let's be clear, we're talking about the abortion issue here. Let's not, uh, I don't want to define it so generally that it's like pro-life means a happy life. Um, you know, we're specifically talking about the abortion issue there. Oh, man, I had so many calls here. It's not that I'm trying to cut you off either. That was a great call, uh, and, I, and I wanted to get to more. Steve, I know... Uh, I'm not going to get to you on this call, Steve, but Steve said negative ads don't work. Steve, call back again. Um, a lot of people don't like negative ads. And and I know they're going to, I don't mind a contrast ad, and maybe we'll come back to this. But Pierre Polyevre's strategy, I wonder, his supporters love it, but is it too narrow? Now, when we come back, this is a story that's hurting my heart. A condominium on Juneau Beach where Canadians landed in World War II. Finding answers to all your questions. You're listening to The Evan Solomon Show. Welcome back to the program. June 6, 1944. D-Day. The Brits, the Americans, the Canadians the Australians, land in Normandy. And on Juneau Beach, on Juneau Beach on that day, the Canadians poured off the boats, 21,400 troops, who landed just on that day alone, experienced 1,200 casualties that day. But it was the beginning of the liberation of Europe. Now, on that day alone, 359 Canadians were killed on Juneau Beach. It's just 10 kilometers of the French coastline. 10K of that coastline. And it's history. And it is an important moment in history. Because without that, and here we are talking about the war in Ukraine, where Russia has moved into Ukraine, and you're seeing what's done. This gives us a reminder of what an invasion does as the Nazis had rolled across Europe then and taken over France. And finally, in 1944, the Allies begin the remarkable D-Day landing. And Canada was a big part of it. And we shall never forget. And France should be, and Europe is forever in the dead of the world of democracies who came in. And that is why 
Here we are in 2022, not just remarking on this remarkable day, but gobsmacked, shocked, and appalled to find out that there is a French condominium developer that is about to put shovels in the ground and build a condominium where? On Juno Beach. Instead of a memorial, the condo developer wants to have vacations on the very place where the Canadians landed. Cindy Clegg is an organizer of Save Juno Beach campaign that launched this past Wednesday. Cindy, welcome to the program. Um, first of all, when did you f- tell us about what this proposed condominium development and Juno Beach is going to be? Yes. Hi, Evan. Thanks a lot for the call. Um, so the Juno Beach Center is a, a center of memory on Juno Beach for the Canadians who sacrificed their lives. Uh, during the D-Day landings and then went on to, of course, liberate France and the rest of Europe during the Second World War. Um, The French government uh, gave over a parcel of land on Juneau Beach for 99 years to the Juneau Beach Center to build its museum, its educational center, and the Juneau Beach Park. It's the only uh, museum dedicated to the D-Day landings that are actually at the water. So it's a very special place. There was um, a piece of land uh, next to it that, uh, you know, no one had ever used. And through a really questionable land deal two years ago, uh, the developer and the local mayor uh, did a deal and the land turned over to the developer. Uh, there was no notification. The local community is really supportive of the Juno Beach Center. It, you know, held demonstrations, it circulated petitions, and it even ran the mayor out. But the developer is still in place. Uh, so it's really uh, been uh, a, a, a terrible thing. Um, they've been in court fighting for two years. And so the Juno Beach Center has used up most of its money during a two-year COVID period where their income is really low. And now it just looks like it's just going to go ahead. So when I found out about it, I thought, this is crazy because no one in Canada knew about it. And if we use our voices through our politicians to voice that to France, I think that we can fix the situation. Sydney Clegg is from the uh, Save Juno Beach campaign. So this French property developer, Francine, they want to build a 70-unit condo on the beach, Juno Beach. How close to the, to the, to the Juno Beach um, Museum Center that you're talking about, how close would it be to the uh, Juno Beach Center, which is the Canadian Museum and Cultural Center that's, that's there to honor what, what happened in 1944? Well, they're adjacent, but the land that the developer will have is bigger than the property that the Juno Beach Center has. And, you know, uh, the, the center never got the opportunity to even say whether or not they could maybe have, you know, find out if they could actually have that property. Uh, so, it, you know, it, that part's never been in question. And it's a small museum. It's run, you know, by a volunteer board in Canada. It was built by D-Day veterans and with contributions from Canadians all across the country 20 years ago. So, you know, we're not talking about, you know, an organization with deep pockets. So all of this has just been such a, a body blow. But the construction itself 
could actually force the closure of the museum because of all of the traffic, the congestion, and just the absolute chaos in building this towering development right next to it. And is it, there's 10 kilometers of, of the beach, and there's five beaches where the Allies landed. Are, are there development on any of them? Not new developments like seaside luxury condos. That's it. So, yeah. so it, for, for 75 years, this has been a remark, almost a, a sacred spot. And now it's, this could be the beginning of, you know what, not so sacred. What is the developer saying? The developer is saying, um, you know, we, we've got it fair and square and, uh, you know, we're going ahead. So, and what is the French government saying? Well, the French government isn't really aware of the issue because it's, you know, it's a municipal deal. They have a, a, a prefet of Calvados, which is sort of like a, a, like a regional govern, governor uh, who approved the development, I think, four days into the new job. So, you know, and, and, and that person was looking at the sustainability of the site. So, it, as I say, it was a lot of dodging and weaving that went on in order to get this done. But, you know, Evan, when I first heard about it, I sat back and I thought, what would the Americans do if they were going to planning to put up a condo at Omaha Beach? Well, what can Canadians do now? Like, this is, I'm just stunned. When I heard about this, I wanted to have you on the program right away. Yeah. And Samantha, our producer, just said, hey, we got we to gotta talk about this. I was disgusted, to be candid, I, I, it's, and I'm offended by it. Cindy, what, what can we do? Well, it's wonderful. Come to savejunabeach.ca. You've got two options. It's set up so that you can email your MP, and there's a letter in there. Uh, but what we're finding is that people are, we've already sent more than 10,000 letters since Friday. Since, uh, I'm sorry, since last Wednesday. <laughs> so the letters go to your member of parliament. They're then copied to the Minister of Veterans Affairs, the Minister of Foreign Affairs. It's also going to the French ambassador, the Canadian ambassador in France, the developer, this prefet that I discussed, the French Minister of Tourism, the French Minister of Veterans Affairs, and the French Minister of Foreign Affairs. Because so, we're out of time. We have to get everybody's attention as fast as possible. Cindy Clegg is the organizer of the Save Juno Beach campaign. Check that out online. What I'm going to do, Cindy, is we're going to take a break. I want people to send me, let me know if you support this at 71010. But I've got retired Major General Dave Fraser. We're going to talk about the war in Ukraine, but I'm going to ask him about it and maybe get some veterans groups involved as well. Uh, Cindy, thank you. What an important issue. Dave Fraser next. You're listening to the iHeartRadio Talk Network, and this is The Evan Solomon Show. Hey, welcome back to the program. That last segment that we had really blew up. Cindy Clegg, the organizer of Save Juno Beach Campaign, which just launched, is trying to stop a French developer from building a 70-unit condominium on Juno Beach, where the Canadians landed on D-Day. Can you imagine? 70-unit condo. That's okay. Just, hey, I think it's time now. Even though on D-Day, June 6, 1944, 381 Canadians died that day and 45,000 Canadians died during the Second World War and 
5,500 died in the Battle of Normandy to secure that beach, but that's okay. The French developer says it's time that French people enjoy the freedoms that they have hard won. Now, before I throw up at that horrific justification to profit, the Judo Beach Center is furious about it. I'm going to bring in, I wanted to talk about, and I will talk about the war in Ukraine, but that is just driving me crazy. There's a letter writing campaign about that. So I want to bring in someone who served our country for more than three decades, retired Major General Dave Fraser. Friend of the show, decorated Canadian military officer, first general to command American troops in combat since the Second World War. And he joins me now. Uh, First of all, thanks for your service, General Fraser. Dave, um, I know we want to talk about Ukraine, but just before you, that I had this segment on building up. Now, Dave, you and I know each other a long time, right? How long? A long time. So, you know, off when we're both not talking on the radio or TV, uh, maybe some uh, language gets a little more colorful. But when I found out about the blank, blank, blank condo that was going to be built on Juneau Beach, I practically flipped my lid. You? Well, um, I'm just wiping the, the volume off my, my lips because I just heard about this. And I just, I, I've gotten really angry in the last couple of weeks. And now I'm angry for a different reason. I think it's it's despicable. Uh, this is where the Canadian government should just step in or somebody to say, no, this is part of history. The, we forget what we fought for. And, you know, putting up a condo, we will forget the sacrifice that Frenchmen made for their country and Canadians and everyone else. And, and look what we're doing today. We fought a world war. Mm-hmm. And now we're fighting another war, and we're trying to keep it from becoming a world war. And this is where democracy and our liberties that, you know, this person is trying to suggest that they've, they've earned it. Well, guess what? You've earned it so that you can keep that as a reminder why we never want to do this again. Go build your condo somewhere else. Dave, I, I want to tell you, General Fraser, listen to me. The, Cindy Clegg from the Save Juno Beach campaign is a Canadian who started this. And you're a guy, and we're also got our nose to the grindstone here. I didn't even know about this. This French property builder, Francine, is going to build this thing like now. They've got the permits. 70-unit condo building. Um, they are literally going to put it right beside the... You've been to that center. You know that yeah. center on Juno Beach. And and they're desperate to fight it, but they're going to lose this thing. There's there's been a letter writing campaign. I got to I got to tell you, I got to think people like you and the veterans have got to get involved in this. And we all do because I'm a you know, we are doomed to repeat history and we are repeating it. We are seeing it repeated in Ukraine right now. And we'll talk about that. But. You let a developer start building a condo where Canadians shed blood on the most important doorway to liberation, to fighting for democracy. And it's a slippery slope, Dave Fraser. Well, what are they going to do next? You know, build condos on on Vimy Ridge, you know, because it's got a great, you know, view. Um, There are some places that are sacred. uh, And I think we have to demonstrate leadership, leadership that... um, you know, quite frankly, trumps some materialistic things that maybe this developer wants to do because they're not interested in the same things that uh, societies are. And this is where society's got to trump a simple developer with 70 condos. I agree with you, Evan. 
Uh, listen, folks, uh, I've been all through Europe, and Dave Fraser's been all through Europe. Many of you have, and 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 you know, there's. I remember being in Krakow, Poland, and and I and I Krakow was where the Nazis had their their um the the head office of the SS uh, Auschwitz, the death camp is nearby. And I said, you know, how can this be a functioning building? They said, look, after the Nazis took it, the Soviet Union took it, they murdered us. Every building here has got blood on them. We but we have to relive. We can't stop everything. That's the, our our whole history is blood soaked. But we have to keep going. I get that. I get that history moves, but Juno Beach is different. This is a sacrifice. We, I think Canadians across the country, have to understand what's about to happen. A 70-unit condo is about to be built on one of the most important moments in the world history and for Canadians. Now, I didn't bring you on to talk about this, General Fraser. I just can't believe this is happening. I'm with you. My jaw's on the ground, and, and time's running out. Uh, so, so I'm... And I'm I'm sorry I'm dropping this on you because you, you and so many like you have been on the sharp end fighting for democracy and to see this you must feel that sense of betrayal by 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 the prophet here's but uh, t- tell me about what what the 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 30 cruise missile launched at this training center in Ukraine where Operation Unifier was centered and and the Russians targeted killed 35 people uh, injured 130 others what signal does that send Dave Fraser. First of all, the Russians have uh, got a good intelligence. They know where, what what facilities are feeding the Ukrainian defense, and the Ukrainian defense, its effectiveness has been noted by the Russians that they went after this training barracks. And the fact they went after it is one thing, but the fact that they fired 30 missiles at it, it's a staggering number, Evan, staggering. And they fired it so close to the Polish border this is a strategic target for the Russians, and they're not going to stop until it's a completely obliterated. And they, and, and you know, and this is a probably a call for Ukrainians to disperse their training facilities because now the Russians are going after it because it's having an adverse impact on their ability to prosecute the war. So, good news on the Ukrainians. Bad news is the Russians now know it, and they're coming after you. I, after you speak, I'm going to have Anita Nan, the Minister of Defense, on. And I asked her, I said, well, now that the Russians have said uh, attacking NATO supply lines are legitimate targets, is that triggering Article 5? And she said, you know what, Evan, I'm traveling to Brussels today. We don't know. What's your sense if Russia starts targeting the supply lines provided to the Ukraines by the West? It, it, I don't think it is Article 5. Because there is, and this is the art of war, not the science of war. The art of war is um, the Russians acknowledge that the Ukrainians need to resupply themselves to, to fight the war, and they are allowing this to happen. And they're bona fide military targets. But you know, it's but Putin's not saying this is a, you know he's not saying that this is a fight against NATO right now. He's saying NATO uh, a fight against NATO would have been if the MiG-29s came in. And, you know, if any, you know, uh, NATO soldiers showed up on the ground. Now, that's an Article 5 uh, from his point of view. But this resupply is not. And it's a, it's a, it's a gray zone, but that's just the way it is. However, um, the false narrative that Putin is putting up about biological and chemical capability, that becomes a new Rubicon that historically he has he's been true to his word every threat he is he's given he's followed through on but historically when he's done this the u.s has responded and you know we heard the national security advisor yesterday on on the sunday shows say that 
you know, they've called Russia on this one. They've also called China on this one to say, you do that, um, you will, there will be hell to pay. And this is where I think, uh, and I'm, you know, maybe the, the no-fly zone, which is not palatable by the West at all, maybe it comes in a different form where uh, the West actually gives the Ukrainian the capability to run their own no-fly zone. So, you know, if, if you know, Russia ex- uh, accelerates this into the stupid, where it already is, but using chemical or biological weapons. Uh, Dave Fraser, uh, man, I had so much more to talk to you about, um, but we got sidetracked, but in a good way, about the Saving Juno Beach. Uh, you and I will communicate a little more on that, uh, a condominium on Juno Beach, a war in Ukraine. Folks, you forget history. We are doomed to repeat it at the cost of lives. Thanks, Dave. General Fraser, great to have you on the program. I appreciate it. Thanks, Evan. The Defense Minister, Anita Anand, next. We'll take a break on The Evan Solomon Show. As the story changes, we react. This is The Evan Solomon Show. All right, coming up uh, at 135, you do not want to miss this. There's an assistant principal at a Mississippi elementary school who was just fired because he read a children's book called I Need a New Butt. This guy was fired because it was inappropriate. He's going to join us. Toby's going to join us. The the guy who was just fired for reading a book to kids is going to join us. Then you can react. But the defense minister, I spoke to her, Anita Nunn, right after... The Russians fired 30 cruise missiles at Yavoriv military base, which is about 15 kilometers from the Polish border, which is literally the place where the Canadians headquartered Operation Unifier. No Canadians there now. And it raised a lot of questions about, is this war about to escalate? How is NATO going to respond? So I asked the defense minister first about a lot of things, Canada's military response, but about the Yavoriv military bases, just to confirm. Were there any foreign fighters, any Canadians, any NATO trainers there at the time of the attack? No, Canadian Armed Forces members uh, left Ukraine a number of days ago and are safely in Poland and other areas. Minister, Russia said yesterday that it deemed shipments of weapons to Ukraine legitimate targets. Now they've, they've hit this base. This is... I think at one point it's about 15 kilometers from the Polish border. First of all, what message is Russia sending and how will NATO respond to this attack? Well, Russia is clearly a horrific aggressor in this situation, killing children and families randomly and committing war crimes. This latest attack is another example of unforgivable Russian aggression and the NATO alliance stands united to ensure that first, all help possible can flow to Ukraine. Second, that we as an alliance stand united and in support of Article 5 of the Washington Treaty, which states that an attack on one is an attack on all. We will protect every inch of NATO territory. Minister, 
Canada's been uh, sending lethal aid, uh, the, the U.S. and the NATO alliance has, across the border. Now that Russia is targeting it clearly, uh, will NATO be taking different means, sending different kinds of weapons, now that Western Ukraine and those supply lines are clearly under attack by Russia? What is, does NATO have to take a different, different means now of sending uh, weapons to Ukraine? I appreciate the question, Evan. Let me first start with Canadian aid. We ensured that $7.8 million worth of lethal aid arrived in Ukraine by February 22nd and was handed over to Ukrainian soldiers whom we trained as the Canadian Armed Forces. Uh, after that, we are continuing to ship our lethal aid, Carl uh, Gustav anti-tank weapons, rocket launchers, 7,500 hand grenades, and we are utilizing two CC-130 uh, airplanes in order to help the NATO allies flow this aid through NATO countries. Apart from those details, however, we are keeping a very close hold on the price precise logistics of the aid flowing. Why? Because of the very item that you raised in your question, that our supply lines are being carefully monitored, and we need to make sure that the aid flows safely and securely into the hands of the Ukrainian soldiers. But just to be clear, an attack on NATO supplies is not an attack on NATO. Is that clear? Well, it is, again, a good question. And the interpretation of Article 5 tends to surround geographical location. However, I am traveling to Brussels in the next two days, and I will raise questions such as this with my NATO counterparts. It is important that we take a full-fledged uh, examination of the situation, including in the area of cyber attacks and what cyber attacks themselves mean for the interpretation of the legal documents that underpin the alliance and the deterrent and defensive right. structure that really is the foundation of the NATO alliance. Okay, that's interesting. The cyber attack one's interesting. Let me talk about foreign fighters for a minute. Um, lots of people of Ukrainian descent around the world are flooding into Ukraine to fight. In the, the legal status of a foreign fighter is important because soldiers are protected by Geneva Convention, uh, foreign fighters aren't. Um, are you encouraging Canadians who want to volunteer to help Ukraine to go to Ukraine? Are you encouraging Canadian foreign fighters there? And what is NATO's view on their legal status? We are not encouraging uh, Canadians to go to Ukraine to fight, given the very dire security situation in the country. Having said that, it is understandable, especially given the very large Ukrainian diaspora in Canada, that there are uh, Canadians of Ukrainian descent and others who wish to go to that country to fight alongside their Ukrainian brothers and sisters. And in that regard, it is an individual decision for them to do so. It'll be an interesting uh, legal question when, when that comes up. But, but the prime minister said on his trip, he's open to, to more military spending. Sweden is now committed to hitting 2% of their GDP, as are other countries, Germany as well. Is Canada in the next budget going to commit to reaching 2% of its GDP on defense spending given the new realities in the world now post-Russian invasion? 
Well, I want to take a step back and clarify that we are increasing our defence spending by 70% over the nine-year period beginning in 2017. And as part of our defence spending, we are creating additional uh, military capabilities, uh, six new Arctic offshore patrol ships, two of which have been built, two new polar icebreakers, 88 new fighter jets. Uh, we will be awarding a contract this year. And in the short term, I will be bringing forward a robust package to modernize NORAD, uh, which would be going towards the 2%. The bottom line is that we have military spending in place in an increasing way, and we will continue to respond to the evolving threat environment as we go forward, given this very dire situation. Minister Anand, uh, a very dangerous escalation this morning. We very much appreciate you joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much. Take well, that is uh, Minister Anita Anand. That is your defense minister. I think it's interesting that you couldn't answer that question. Dave Fraser could answer it earlier. Um, is an attack on the supply lines a trigger of Article 5? She said we're discussing that. I don't think it is. I don't think it will be interpreted that way. But it is an escalatory thing. I just don't think it will be. The... Cyber attack question is different. Like if, if Russia takes down in a cyber attack, Poland, for example, Latvia, we'll find out. All right. Uh, I want to, we have something extraordinary coming up. Uh, you probably read this story. It's all over the world about an assistant principal in a Mississippi elementary school who was fired because he read this kid's book, I Need a New Butt. I Need a New Butt. Oh, okay. Well... He was fired. And there's just a whole conversation about, oh, this is inappropriate. Do you fire a teacher for that? I have two kids. My feeling is, no, what? That's hilarious. But this is like, what's inappropriate? And in the U.S., this is a battleground. In Florida, they've got a, a law that is in the media called Don't Say Gay, but it's about what's appropriate to even talk about homosexuality or transgender in, in certain grades. Again, do what, what do I say? I think it's crazy. Families come in all types. And there's kids there who have same-sex parents and what they're not allowed to talk about that in kindergarten or grade one, two, or three. Why? A teacher's not allowed to talk about that? Because it's all this, quote, indoctrination. Now, I understand. I've, had, I've raised kids, too. But what's appropriate for kids? So we're going to get into this discussion because you're going to meet the guy who was just fired for reading. He's a teacher for 20 years, a children's book called I Need a New Butt. You're going to meet Toby Price, and then you're going to get a chance to weigh in. It's amazing that this is going on. The education wars are happening. This is next. You do not want to miss this on The Evan Solomon Show. Talking to the newsmakers every day. The conversation continues with Evan Solomon. Banning books is always the most controversial thing you could do. And look, there are books that people read in one generation that are no longer appropriate because they may have racial stereotypes. I get that. But it's difficult. But in Mississippi, there's a teacher and an associate principal who was fired for reading a book called I Need a New Butt. 
which is basically a funny book about butts. They were second graders. Now, I've raised two kids with my wife, or I've helped raise two kids. And we, I have no, like, I'm just telling you as a parent, this book does not bother me. I don't care. It's funny. But Toby Price, an assistant principal at the Mississippi Elementary School, was fired because he read it, and he joins us now. Hello, sir. Thank you for joining us. Hey, thank you very much for having me on the show. You've been, te- you've been a teacher for 20 years. Tell me about the decision to read I Need a New Butt to a class of grade twos. Um, well, it, I have, was asked to set up a Zoom meeting with the, all the second grade classes so the next building the, over, the neighboring principal could read to them over Zoom. Um, time came, um, all 12 classes logged in, and I didn't have a reader. Um, I tried to text her, tried to call her. Um, later on, I found out she forgot. So my boss texted me and said, go ahead and read. So I grabbed the book off my shelf, one of my favorites, and I read it to them. And, and um, I, yeah, so I, I, by the way, I need a new butt. It's not like, it's not a racist book. It's no. not an old book. And like, <laughs> no. like, I just want people to know what's going on. It's not a pornographic book. Like, let's be clear no, here. I, tell, tell me about I need a new butt. Well, it, it's, the, it's the harrowing tale of a young man who realizes he has a crack in his behind, his butt. And he starts to wonder, how did I get this crack in my butt? Is it when I slid down the water slide? Did I fall off the banister? Did I fall off my bike? Did I fart and blow my butt apart? And then he starts dreaming about what type of butt he's going to buy to replace the butt he has apparently broken. Amazing. It's hilarious, right? Oh, yeah, it's great stuff. Um, And, you know, I'm a big fan of funny, silly books, and this is a funny, silly book. With readers, reluctant readers especially, you've got to hook them with the funny, silly books. And to, that's what this book is. It's, if you read anything more into this book, you have way too much time on your hands. Um, this is just a funny, silly book that tells a story about a kid, and it's great stuff. There's four books in the series. Um, I highly recommend them still. Don, Don McMillan wrote them. Uh, this is a well-known – this book is well-known. Lots of people yeah. have read I Need a New Butt. I broke my butt. My butt is so noisy. There's just a lot of butt mm-hmm. books, right? Oh, yeah. The, my butt is so silly is the newest one. Um, there's one out somewhere that has three books in one, and the cover farts when you push the button. I haven't found that one yet. I want that one. You want, I haven't gotten now, 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 what happened when you read it? The kids liked it, and then what happened? The kids the kids loved it. Um, they stopped me in the hallway going to lunch, going to PE. said, Mr. Price, we love that book. That was so funny. Thank you, Mr. Price. Uh, then I got called to the principal's office, and she said, "Miss Price, we may have some complaints because you know you chose to read that book. Um, we're going to talk about this." I said, yes, ma'am. I totally understand. Um, you know, I, I respect my boss a lot. She's a smart, good lady that I've, I've learned a lot from. Well, but then I ended up in the superintendent's office about thirty minutes later, um, right. and that that meeting didn't go as well. Um, they, uh, you know, I, I not to mince words, they they let me have it. They ringed me out for reading the book. Um, like what they, they say me, to you. Well, do you think that butt and farts are funny? Do you think and do you think that a, this is a cartoon butt crack, a, a robot butt, bulletproof butt with farting? Do you think this is funny? And I said, well, before I came in here, yes, <laughs> I did. I'm not gonna lie. Um, right. Yeah. And, and and they put me on administrative leave. That was Tuesday. Thursday, they called me back out um, and told me that they were going to terminate me because I showed poor professional judgment for choosing this book. Because right. it contained the words butt and fart and bulletproof butt and robot butt and cartoon right. butt cracks. And now, now this book is aimed at four to, to six-year-olds, basically. So you're in the – so <clears throat> the publisher – and it was in the school library. Is that right? Well, no. Actually, this was my personal copy. 
The oh, school, okay. however, does have the school, however, does have an online service called Epic.com, and the book has been featured in there for for years. In fact, right. I ran into one of my moms uh, in there, one of my students this morning, and she had, she had told her mom that Mr. Price's book that he read is in Epic. I've read it all. I've read it so many times, you know. So it was already available in the school. So so what, so why so the so you were accused of breaking the Mississippi Educator Code of Ethics. Now, how do you determine what book fits in the Code of Ethics that I need a new but doesn't, but others do? That's the scary thing. You know what's going to happen now. You know the perception is one person can decide that, and if a teacher is about to go and do a read aloud with somebody, they're going to stop and think, oh, I don't think I should do this one. Um, a good friend of mine came to me the other night, and he said, you know, after I heard the story, he said, I looked in my classroom shelf, and I took Walter the Farting Dog off the shelf and brought it home because he was worried he could get in trouble for it. So so, so, so you can't do Walter the Farting Dog. You can't do anything about a butt. Um, what about Captain Underpants? Is that out there? There you go. No, I mean that's it. That's what uh, I was about to say. I, I know. That's what I was about to go to next. I love Captain Underpants. Dave Pilkey's a genius, but <laughs> – no pun intended um, – they they hypnotize their principal to take off all his clothes and he fights crime in his underwear. Mm, I mean, mm. that's not a you know on where where who get, who gets to decide what's you know it's it's scary it's scary. So what is what's happened? Tell me a bit about the reaction and and I I want to remind our I'm talking to Toby Price, an assistant principal at Mississippi Elementary School, fired for reading uh, a children's book. I need to know about. By the way, you're fired. So so do you have, are you fired with cause? So you don't get any money. You're broke. Like you don't and they cut you off well, or do you still. They they actually did not explain any of that to me. Um, since I chose the hearing, the attorney I have right now said that since I chose the hearing, they have to pay me until up until the hearing. Um, but again, they haven't. They've told me absolutely nothing. Um, in oh fact, I haven't even been allowed to go and I haven't even been allowed to go and get my things um, on my, out of my office. So so what's been the reaction, sir? Um, mostly, you know what? Mostly positive. Um, I've had parents, um, you know, the, the PTO president and members on the PTO have called me and just offered up support. Uh, they said they were going to donate to the GoFundMe, not in the PTO's name, but on their own. Um, parents, students, the, the support's been just crazy. Um, someone from Columbia, an educator from Columbia, emailed me and, you know, told me they supported what I did. Somebody from Berlin. Um, I spoke to folks in New Zealand today. I mean, amazing things have you know happened. The support's huge, and I'm I'm really grateful. Um, at the same time, I'm terrified. I got three kids, two with autism to take care of. So, you've got two. Uh, you've got think, you've got three kids. How old are your kids, Toby Price? Um, my I, my oldest is 19 and 18. Those those are the two with autism. They're pretty severe. I have a 15 year old who is ready to rule the world. Um, she's pretty hard too in her own way. <laughs> um, mm. You know, so, 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 and, and you're, and, and you got, you're, you're trying to raise three kids. You were doing your job. You've been a teacher for 20 years. Had, now, let me ask you, do you have a long history of being a, I'm, I'm saying these words with quote air quotes around them. Like, are you a troublemaker? Are you always pushing the boundaries? Are you reading stuff? Are you knowing that? Are you an, like, are you a troublemaker? No, that's the thing. I have no other discipline issues in my file whatsoever. Um, I had not even for being late when I was like um, in, in a classroom. None. Not at all. None. So you, you got a clean record. You read a little innocuous, hilarious little book, I Need a New Butt, and you're fired. But, but you know, in, in uh, school boards across the world, like, there's a big thing about, there's this culture war that's raging about what's appropriate. What do you, what do you make of that, Toby Price? 
I think I think again, this is um this is what's you know scary about it. You know, who gets to decide what's appropriate now and what's not appropriate? And in the process, you know, you're you're taking things out of public schools that you know they need to use to engage readers. And it's just it's it's scary. But, it's but what scary. about like Dr. Seuss? Uh, so like if I ran a zoo was taken out because of a stereo stereotypical depiction of Asians, um, mm-hmm. that's different. Mm-hmm. What do you think about mm-hmm. that? Well, uh, well uh, you know, I think I think if the, it's, just, it's the way the decision needs to be made. You know, if it was one person making the decision, I think that's wrong. If a group of parents and school board and educators get together and say, hey, we have to talk about this because this is a problem and we need to decide what to do. We that's that's the way to go. Not one person saying and this is what was said to me on Thursday. I can't get past this. I can't get past this. Yeah, which is crazy. Okay, Toby Price, you're on national radio across Canada here. Uh, Toby Price, assistant principal. Uh, I'm going to throw open the text board. Toby, if you want to stay and take calls, you're welcome to, sir. I don't know what your day's like. Another 10 minutes, one 855 But, Toby Price, if you don't, I really thank you. But please stay. Um, okay. I want to okay. talk about this if you want, sir. Um, and, folks, I'd love to hear from you, 71010. When important decisions are made, we report. Here's Evan Solomon. Welcome back. So we just had Toby Price, the assistant principal at that Mississippi Elementary School. He was fired because he uh, was asked to read to a group of uh, grade twos, and he read the popular series of books called I Need a New Butt. It's funny. I'll tell you, if if I found out that a teacher read my kids in grade two, the uh, I Need a New Butt, I would think, ha, who cares? This is not a big deal to me. I don't mind it. I don't care. It's funny. There's lots of books out there. I'm not throwing a teacher out because I didn't like the book he or she read. But Toby Price, who he's told us he's never had a disciplinary record before, never been late, raising three kids, just lost his job for reading a book, I Need a New Butt. It is, in my view, absurd. one 855 or 71010. Your thoughts. Now, we do ban... Certain kids' books in Canada. You know, I Am I by Marie Louis Fitzpatrick about the futility of fighting and arguing was challenged, but not banned in Edmonton because it says I hate you. But it's not banned. But I, I ran a zoo with by uh, Dr. Seuss, had a stereotypical depiction of Asians who quote all, I'm not even going to say it, was the reason it was banned. Uh, the book was challenged in BC and banned. Um, it's not on the sh- not banned. It's not on the Vancouver Public Live uh, uh, Library shelf, right? So there's others. We we have these cases in Canada all the time, okay? And it's very 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 tricky. But what about in this case? Th- this is not a racial thing. This is not a stereotype. This is like this is not appropriate. Kelly, what's up? I guess you're an ECE in uh, kindergarten. Is that right? I am. And well, thanks. Um, By the way, uh, thanks for your work in early childhood education. Thank you. I just wanted to say that um, I think this might be a situation where a group of maybe even just one parent found it to be inappropriate and there was an overreaction, and then hopefully he will get his job back. I read a book last week. I thought it was a funny book, but after I finished reading it, I sort of thought, hmm, it, after I finished reading it, it wasn't that it was inappropriate. It was that it was so silly that I thought, well, maybe this wasn't the best book to read, and it was called... 
the dinosaur that pooped a planet. Mm. Okay. And there's a whole series of books about those that that dinosaur that poops things. We were discussing yeah. space in school, um, but at the end of the story, I said, "You know what? That was a really silly story. Really silly." And did we actually learn anything from that? And no one learned anything. I said, "But was it funny? It was sort of funny." And they all agreed. And if they didn't think it was funny, or if they thought, they just walked away. <laughs> Look. It's not a big deal to read something silly sometimes. Or the word poop or the word butt or the word, those are not nasty words. Those are words that kids are saying all the time. And sometimes it's just good to read something funny. It wasn't intentionally trying to hurt anybody. And these oh, my God, I totally too. agree with you. Yeah, Engagement. Too. It, like like yeah. the word entertain means to gather within. You've got to get people's attention. Reading is, remember, it, reading has always been a somewhat subversive. When when Gutenberg had the printing press and, and then they could print the Bible and the vernacular, it was, oh, my God, everyone could read, not just the priestly class. It's true, parents you can't, you're the priestly class for your kids, but reading is playful. There's lots of things can happen. You can't control interpretations, yeah, and books but it's okay. To... It's okay. They'll survive yeah. using the word, but it's okay. Yes. And they use the word anyway. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you. Okay. And great I call. Just, quick... Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Back. Wait, what happened? Kelly. Oh, that's my bad. Kelly, I owe you one. I owe you one. I, I, I didn't know she was hung out there. Uh, Tina, go for it. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Like, I, I just got my son Scholastic Flyers, and he's able to buy that book out of the flyers, so there should be no issue with reading it to grade two classes. It's kind of <laughs> crazy when, like what Kelly said, they use the word anyways. Like, have they been on a school bus lately? You should hear what is said on a school bus. It's <laughs> so it's crazy, like, right? Like, if you're so, so if you're if you're a teacher of your kid read that book. You you know, uh, uh, I need a new butt. No problem. No problem. My son would probably come home or be texting me on his aide's phone saying, Mommy, my teacher said butt. <laughs> and oh, just nice. laughing at it because that's his, his mentality. Is he said butt. We all say butt. I say butt. Look, it's a butt. Have they watched most movies? Yeah. What are they supposed to say? Like, what is the uh, other? Exactly. What is the, what are the, what do they say? say? The gluteus maximus, the buttocks. Like, I, I don't know. Anyway, all right. Uh, well, I appreciate the call. I'm with you. Like, it's this theme. This is crazy. Like, Toby Price, raising three kids, is loses his job for reading a funny little book. I just find this remarkably uh, crazy. Folks, relax. Your kids are going to survive the word but. Steve, Tob- by the way, you're in Tobamore. Invite me up there. I love Tobamore. Yeah, open uh, invitation for you anytime, Evan. Um, So, yeah, um, you know, this teacher should not have been fired for that. Perhaps just uh, that book taken out of the early early year curriculum, and it's my opinion, that, it's particularly in the West, Evan, um, that we sillify or cartoonify too many silly little stories like the last teacher said who you just spoke to. There's too much of that going on in early childhood education. In my views, it just they're, they're nonsensical, worthless little stories that have no value at all. So what I'm just trying to understand that, and that may be true. I mean, look, I take education seriously. I'm sure you do. Uh, sure. But by the same token, you're just saying, what, that education is becoming too frivolous, like it's too silly? Yeah, there are, there are segments of education, Western education, especially in the early years, where there's too much... 
too much cartoonifying of things. Hmm. There's not enough real life to to swiftly move along the education. I'm not saying I'm not being a stick in the mug. I'm not saying that kids shouldn't have fun with silly things. I'm just saying that this is a good example of there just being too much of that. A worthless, no value little story hmm. that probably was better off not said. Steve, I appreciate the call. I, I mean, look, I think as a culture, we're slightly immature in general, <laughs> to be candid. Um, but I, this one does not bother me a stitch. Uh, you know, talking about butts is funny and it's just engaging in its silliness. And I, I, I think this Toby Price sounds like a great teacher to me. Okay, last call of the day to you, Donna. You're a retired teacher. Thanks for your work. What's up? Well, I'm just commenting on this because there's just so much of this going around. Why does he have to lose his job? Can't he get his knuckles wrapped, go into the office, say a parent's complained, and then told, please don't read that book anymore? What's wrong with that? Why should he get his knuckles wrapped even, in my view? Why? He's a teacher. Why can't a teacher well, make a decision? Well, because you do all the time. I'm telling you right now, depending on the climate of the school, like when 9-11 first happened, we were cautioned to not discuss it with our children, with the students. Mind you, I was in elementary. Right. Not discuss it until the children had a chance to go home talk to their parents about it because it might traumatize them if they had a relative who was, you know, who worked in New York or something right, like right, that. Right, right. Some teachers thought it was ridiculous. Some teachers went ahead and talked about 9-11 in their history classes or in their classes. Um, so I, I'm just saying the principal at that time, yeah. she made an executive decision and said, I really don't want you to talk about it because children are young they're not in high school i mean mind you i was an intermediate so they're not like in kindergarten or something and i you know i i didn't talk about it just because i thought well if that's what she wants i'm not going to discuss it then yeah um, but- I, I, i'm yeah i guess you're right teachers do get their knuckles wrapped on and i appreciate the call um but i'm with you like relax everyone we got to trust our teachers a bit too you know like one thing about our system trust our teachers i think they should be accountable But not everything is a fireable offense. And reading is good. Okay, I got to take a break. I'll see you on Power Play tonight. Thanks for listening. Wow.